Hello, welcome back to Eldritch Girl. Um, we have Ellen Day here today. Um, we've been talking a lot about folklore and the dark side of family in the bonus episodes. And Helen's going to talk to us specifically about the dark side of family and deviance in African folklore. So Helen, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, thank you. And I'm so glad to be here. My name is Helen Day and I curate uh, Mythological Africans. It's a platform online where I talk about stuff that excites me, um, which is mainly African mythology and folklore. That's um, one of my favorite things to talk about recently. And it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here, really. It's just a pleasure to be here um, and to be on the Eldritch Girl podcast. It's really lovely to have you. So what sort of relationships are we going to talk about today and some of the folktales that you've uh, looked at? Sure. So um, one of the things that really come through when you start looking at mythology and folklore from the African continent and anywhere really is uh, how family relationships work and what they say about how people feel about how things should be and um, their sense of how things go wrong. And uh, I remember we, we started talking about this, you and I, when um, after the, the talk I gave about uh, deviants in African fiction. Yes, and, yes that was we a did. very good and, talk. <laughs> and uh, it, it was uh, an exploration of how different communities, either in fiction or in folklore, deal with individuals who show up but don't show up in the expected ways. And uh, one of the things that came through pretty strongly is that sometimes um, there is a lot of disruption that happens because these people you know, are not adhering to the norms of the community. And sometimes this disruption is for the better, sometimes it's for the worse. Um, one one uh, talk we, I gave also that you, you participated in was about the unfortunate character and remember the, the story of the just crazy destructive kids who went on a rampage. So um, there, is this, there is this sense that um, in, in some communities, and this shows up in their stories, uh, the, the dynamics within families can take a bit of a dark turn. And often the trigger is uh, an individual or a group of individuals who just show up in ways that are not expected. And um, the stories then become the means by which the community makes sense of these individuals' experiences and the lessons that they learn from them. And, and this, is, this is a powerful way in which people around the world, um, not just on the African continent, makes sense of things that are sometimes incomprehensible, um, makes sense of things that are different, makes sense of things that are strange. And um, ultimately the, the goal is to return to some kind of norm, which you know sometimes doesn't bode well for the, the characters in question. So it's, it's, it, it shows up in so many ways in the different relationships that will come up, you know, between husband and wife, between, you know, parents and children, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, um, mothers and stepchildren, which is the one that, you know, is quite well known all around the world, between siblings, um, between in-laws and families. So it, it, it just, it comes up in so many ways and that, that dark side will, will really show up sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I'm thinking like there's a, quite a lot of parallels and things with, um, yeah, some of the other folk tales that um, and folklore that we've looked at. Because I've had um, a previous interview with uh, Lucy, who did a short film 
on um, the relationship between a mother and daughter and the very haunt and the way that that haunts you um, throughout your adult life and that kind of, you know those sorts of uh, how do you make sense of your uh, your loss and bereavement when you've had a very complicated relationship mm-hmm. with um, and that brought in a lot of sort of um, northern English folklore into that and a little bit of <laughs> superstition and that kind of thing it's, so yeah this is like it's just so interesting I just love it <laughs> and isn't it that if you're looking at you know northern English folklore you're looking at African folklore you're looking at Asian folklore um, folklore from out of the South America so just anywhere in the world you find the same themes repeating themselves almost the same stories the same struggles that's something that it's, I find it comforting. I find it reassuring that you know there is no experience that you have as a human being that is unique only to you. You know, you might experience it in your own unique way, but someone out there has experienced what you've experienced before and has dealt with it one way or another. And um, it's one of the the my favorite things about curating mythological Africans because you know I I come from Cameroon, which is a West African country. Um, but in the course of some of the discussions I've had, we've had people from the Philippines, from Japan, from, you know, Russia, from Poland, from, you know, UK like yourself and from all over the world, um, Canada, South America, Mexico. And there is always a sense of, oh, wow, that sounds like the story that I heard when I was a kid or that I studied at school. And it's exploring a similar theme. So in, in the darkness and in the light, there there is a commonality to the human experience. And I, I find that very reassuring. Yeah, definitely. Um, and also like ideas of um, gender roles and values and structures, they get kind of discussed a lot in terms of what community norms are and explored. Um, so I wondered if we could look at some examples of that. Um, so folktales that talk about gender roles either being um, subverted or supported or you know um, and and how they kind of work within this um, the, the framework of their cultural background and that kind of thing. Absolutely. So what, what you find is that a lot of these stories will either reinforce gender roles as they need to be in whichever community um, the, the story comes out of, and they reinforce those gender roles, they reinforce the values that exist around family structures, um, what people are expected to do. And that plays into the folktales role as you know a, a teaching tool in many cases. You know, people told these stories to um, remind each other of things, to preserve some something that happened in the community so future generations could learn from it. And sometimes it was just pure entertainment, but entertainment with a purpose. And if we look at all these different family dynamics and the dark turns in which they would go, you still find a lot of these gender roles, these these values being reinforced. So um, there are a variety of tales that explore the, the tensions that will come up between husbands and wives, for example. And the tendency for these stories is that, you know, the woman behaves in a way that is not Um, out of the expectations of what she's supposed to be as a wife. And there are consequences for that. Um, There are, there are, so the, there is this collection of folk tales, which um, is basically an exploration into the erotic side of African folklore. And quite often the stories are those of women who are unfaithful and, um, you know, the husband will either 
kill the lover or kill the woman like th those tend to be the outcomes or you'll find a case where you know a man deals faithlessly with a woman and finds himself in in, in you know difficult circumstances gets caught gets killed so th there is that there's that dynamic that gets explored as well um, if we look at uh, the relationship between fathers and sons for example um, that can get really dark in lot in many many um, stories that come out of the African continent because um, in some in some communities there is the idea that okay once a man reaches a certain age he's supposed to step aside and let the young generation come through and if that man is not willing to do that then a power struggle ensues between you know the sons and the fathers so there are many folk tales that that explore this this dynamic of the power struggle um, the window epic is one of the big you know long-running stories that come that have come out of Af traditional African folklore and that is essentially what it is all about you had a king who um, refused to hand over power decided that he only wanted daughters because he didn't want a son who would succeed him and then of course his favorite wife gives birth to a son and so the the story starts with this chief trying to murder his own son you know that dark side coming through and he doesn't succeed because Mwindu his son is a magical being not very easily killed and so um, he tries to kill Mwindu multiple times tries to drown him tries to have him you know murdered with arrows and none of those work so um, Mwindu quickly grows up into a young man and decides well if he's trying to kill me then I have to kill him so the rest of the story is Mwindo in hot pursuit of his father, you know, goes into the underworld, goes into the heavens, just instance after instance of Mwindo trying to catch and kill his father. And in some versions of the story, it ends up with him, you know, catching and killing his father. In some other versions, he, he catches up with his father and, you know, forgives him and, you know, banishes him. There, there are different ways in which the story ends. But... In, in the midst of all of that, there are wars that are fought and lives that are lost and alliances that are betrayed. You know, it, it just explodes into this drama, you know, which has quite a bit of a dark side. But then there is also, um, you know, the, the, the story that comes out of um, one of my favorite stories in African folklore. Um, it's uh, The Palm Wine Drinker by Amos Tijola. And in this case, he, he, he and his wife gives birth to a child and, um, this child is just something else. He is one of those crazy, you know, magical child type characters who's just, you know, out for blood and doesn't care. And in his case, the child whose name is Zerjir just wants to eat and he eats everything in sight, eats all the food that is available to the people. And if you're looking at a culture where the ability to have food available for everyone is what underpins this community survival, a person who eats all the food you know, it's it's a massively disruptive character. But then the thing is, you can't stop this child, Zojir. You can't stop this child. He he would eat, and then if you try to stop him, he would beat you up. And um, I'm going to read a little excerpt here um, because I, I love this story, and I, I think it's well well worth delving into. So I'll start right at where um, Zojir gets born, and um, maybe I'll stop just before he gets killed because that's another dark aspect of this story at the end of the day this child you know has to be off because he's he just he can't be stopped he can't be stopped so um a little excerpt from the palm wine drinkard so within the hour that he came down from the thumb he grew up to the height of about three feet and some inches and his voice by that time was as plain as if somebody strikes an anvil with a steel hammer 
the first thing he did is ask his mother, do you know my name? His mother said no. Then he turned his face to me and asked me the same question, and I said no. So he said his name was Zujir, which means a son who would change himself into another thing very soon. And when he told us his name, I was greatly terrified because of his terrible name. And while he was talking to us, he was drinking the palm wine, which I had tapped already. And before five minutes, he had drank up to three kegs out of the four kegs. I was thinking in my mind how we could leave the child in the farm and run to town because everybody had seen the left-hand thumb of my wife, which had only swelled out, but she did not conceive in the right part of her body as other women do. As I was thinking so, this child took the last keg of palm wine, which he drank through the left side of his head. And then he was going into town and he knew where to go, though no one showed him the road that led to town. And we stood in one place looking at him as he was going, and then we followed him after some time. But before we reached the town, we did not see him on the road. To our surprise, the child entered the right house, the house we were living in, saluted everybody as if he had known them before and asked for food. And they gave him the food and he ate. He entered the kitchen and ate all the food that he met there as well. But when a man saw him eating the rest of the food in the kitchen, which he had been which had been prepared for the night, he told him to leave the kitchen. And he did not leave, but started to fight the man instead. And this wonderful child flogged the man so that he could not seal well before he left the kitchen. And it just goes on and on. He will eat everything in sight, and anybody who tries to stop him will get a flogging. It spreads to the village and it just it keeps escalating and escalating. And there's nothing they can do to stop this child until they finally, um, how they get rid of him is that they abandon him with um, what you might think of as the fairy. So there are these three creatures, song, um, dance, and drums. So singing, sings, and never stop, drumming, drums, and never stops, and dancing, dances, and never stops. And they finally bring this child to these creatures and he starts singing and dancing and you know going with the drums and they just quietly back away. <laughs> Okay, we're, we're going to leave you here now, which um, in many fairy tales that you see around the world is kind of a death sentence because you just you, you, you keep dancing until you drop. That's something that has shown up in some folk tales in other parts of the world. So but but before they even get to this point, there were many attempts to kill this child, you know, um, to 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 take away this power that he had because he, he just he couldn't be stopped. So that that's a, a quick example of how these. Uh, family dynamics will show up between father and son. But then there is a, the, the mother and daughter dynamic as well, which tends to be centered around not so much power struggles, but around competition. So the, the woman, the older woman realizes that she's aging and she's using losing, you know, the, the, the advantage of youth and beauty. Mm. And the, the daughter who is, you know, becoming a woman has this thing and somehow, you know, it becomes a power struggle. So there's a story from um, Congo where this uh, a woman basically drowns her daughter because her daughter was beautiful and had all the suitors in the village. Um, and then um, luckily the child is saved by the water spirits and, you know, shows up to help her brother and, you know, it escalates until in the end the mom gets killed. There is also a story, and I believe this is from, this is from uh, the Fulani people. And the Fulani are a group of people who are in, occupy most of West Africa spread across many of the countries. 
and it's the story of a woman. Um, she's she's of the the devouring mother, you know, goddess archetype, and she basically she was created. Her name is Njedo Dewal, and she was sent by the Fulani creator being called Gweno to punish the Fulani people for their sins. So she she she's one of those you know darker type uh, figures, and she's powerful and you know able to do just about anything she wants, and she is very, very ugly. She marries an equally maleficent being, but then she gives birth to seven of the most beautiful girls in the world. And that becomes her, her, her way of, of getting access to power um, because she, she sets her daughters up so that when their suitors will come um, seeking to marry them, they would you know, go into the bridal suite. And when they start having intercourse with the girls through some system of tubes the mother will start sucking blood out of these suitors and she will always go too far and then the young men will die but then the girls will you know regenerate their powers they'll get their hymens back and more men will come so it will basically through her daughters this woman was you know and and that that speaks to that dynamic that can exist sometimes between mothers and daughters right the idea that the woman is living vicariously through her children that overbearing devouring you know you can't escape me type of of energy that will come through sometimes so you'll see this a lot in in folk tales which you know it's obviously a a, a cautionary tale to say hey this is not the way to be and uh, the tendencies that these figures these maternal figures will get you know um, um, defeated eventually. In the case of Angelo Dewal, she's defeated by, um, hopefully I can pr pronounce his name well because I, I get the uh, emphasis wrong sometimes. She's defeated by Bagomel. I think I'm saying that right, Bagomel. And this is a, an Amphan Terrible type character, so a smart child who is able to outwit um, Bagu Bagumawel. Bagumawel, yeah, um, an unfrontier type character who is able to outwit um, the, the old woman and bring about her destruction. Um, if we want to look at mothers and stepchildren, that's the standard you know, story that you'll see across all cultures. There is, there is a story, and I believe this is from, uh, I think it's the Kikuyu people in Kenya, where um, a, a woman has her own child and she has a child from her husband's previous marriage. And because she doesn't want to give this child food, she basically sets this child up to get killed. And she hides the child's body in um, the, the storage, like the granary. But then the child's half sibling, you know, figures out what has happened. And the story is just this, this other child's efforts to communicate to their father that, oh, this is what has happened. You know, and eventually the woman gets caught and there is punishment. So, that that dynamic being explored, the step stepmother stepchild um, dynamic that you'll see in many folk tales. There is sibling rivalries. One of my favorite stories, which I heard growing up, um, is about these uh, brother and sister who go out to collect flowers and um, to impress their father. And uh, the 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 girl finds flowers that are more beautiful than her brothers, and her brother, in a fit of rage, murders her. <laughs> right? Right. <Yep>. So <laughs> <laughs> darkness murders her, abandons her body in the forest, it decays down to bones, and um, a hunter goes by where she, she she died and steps on her bones and she starts singing her story. And you know, 
the story evolves and eventually the brother is found out and in some versions of the story he gets killed in some versions of the story he is patterned because the, the the chief goes hey you already lost one child there's no reason for us to you know kill another child so there is stories about families and the in-laws and this you know demonstrates that, di that that dynamic that can occur sometimes if your in-laws are too much in your marriage, then it can mess things up. But then if your in-laws, if your family is not involved, if you, you know you are an entity unto yourself, then you lose out on the benefits of being part of a community. So it, it explores the, the, the currents of that too. And of course, the cautionary tales, you know, between parents and children, parents, this is how you should treat your children. The, the story we looked at in the Unfound Terrible Talk is an example of that where, you know, the, the problem was that the parents told the children to be loyal to each other no matter what. So you had this one child who was just on a destructive rampage and his sister, you know, felt like she had to be loyal to him regardless. Um, but then there is also cautionary tales towards children, you know, saying you have to listen to your parents. And this shows up in so many tales, a classic one being the one where the, a, a girl decides to marry a man and her parents are like, oh, we don't think this is a good idea. And she ignores that advice and then she gets carried away and then she's almost killed. So there, there, there's all these, these stories, all of them, you know, steeped in the dark dynamics that will come up sometimes in families, um, you know, conveying different messages, all ultimately saying, hey, this is how we expect you to behave. This is the, the these are the values we uphold. These are the gender roles we, we endorse. And if you deviate from these, these are the consequences that can that can come out of it. I love that. I was just thinking while you were talking, like I've heard um, singing. I, I don't think I've heard the singing bones story, but I have heard a similar one where um, I was just thinking of the Scottish version of that. Yeah. where She's murdered by her sister and she's drowned uh, because her sister is jealous of of her because of a lover that they that her sister wants that she has so she drowns her and then she's found her body is found and pulled out of the water and um her bones are turned into a musical instrument mm -hmm. and the musical instrument is taken to the court because obviously we're in a sort of the, the princess kind of you know that that sort of context mm -hmm. and that it's played for her father the king and it plays and sings the story of it, it's of her murder and accuses the sister of killing her and so the whole story comes out while the musical instrument is played and sometimes it's a harp and sometimes it's a violin mm. and the strings are her hair mm. and you know her finger bones are the tuning pegs and that kind of thing you know like it's this really right right instrument <laughs> and that just made me think of that i think that's you know the idea of the murdered person needing to tell the story that the bones will actually tell the story um like supernaturally i think that's so that just made me think of that story um it's a oh, ballad absolutely. as well yeah i love that. <laughs> that that whole idea of bones you know having an element of the truth in them i i've, I've always found that really fascinating um, especially mm. when you look at some of the traditions that underlie these stories um, in many communities in African countries, um, as well as in other countries, the diviners will use bones, you know, yes. as, as one of the, the implements that they throw, for example, you know, to, to figure out what the truth is. So th that has always been so fascinating to me, the idea that, you know, you have so many stories that 
speak of bone skulls. Um, there, there, are, there, are, there are stories where, you know, the, the skull of a surviving hero continues to speak the truth, continues to prophesy. Um, um, yeah. And um, you have many communities on the African continent where the, the, the skulls of ancestors are preserved and venerated, and they are the ones who speak to the community and provide um, truth and guidance to the community. So it's I, I, those, those parallels between stories and cultures and ideas, I, I always find them interesting because that's, that's how, you know, the culture and the stories that come out of the culture really melt together you know they, they feed into each other yeah we have um we have a head story from wales which is a i just thought um yeah i love the crossovers and like the the kind of the universal things of of right. of the human body and the human body after death and how mm-hmm. um family members relate to one another and the community relates to the dead and the memories of the dead and that oh, kind of goodness. yeah um sorry that's so interesting i love <laughs> that's, that's the best part of of delving into myths and folklore though because you you have these great stories these heavy themes that are just meaty and make you pause and really think about the human condition mm. and then you find out that it's it's all connected you know we really are all connected with with the stories with our life experiences with how we respond to these life experiences it's it, it remains one of my favorite things about doing the work I do absolutely um and what about deviance and that sort of thing we haven't touched on that yet um and so deviance is often the cause of tensions within families as you've said in your amazing talk that um is also on youtube and i'm going to put the link up in the transcript so that (laughs) all your previous talks are linked um as well that you've done with romancing the gothic so people can listen to those um yeah can you talk to us about um a little bit about that so deviance in terms of mental illness uh queerness disability supernatural deviance um that sort of thing and how that impacts positively and negatively on the relationships within the families right 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 so um the how deviance comes in and uh just to set the stage like you said deviance is of course, the standard um, 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 interpretation as deviating from the norm. But in this context, we're looking at individuals who do not fit into the norms of specific societies, whether because they um, come out differently abled or disabled in one way. Um, And when we talk about differently abled, I'm thinking mainly in terms of neurodiversity, um, different ways in which they perceive the world, um, or they, they are queer. And in many African countries, these characteristics get coded as supernatural. So you're, you're, you're not really from here. And that can be a good or a bad thing. And it being a good or bad thing can be a cause of tension in the community. Um, so in the case of neurodiversity, for example, a lot of the enfant terrible stories are just stories of you know gifted children, genius children who are able to see past you know the norms, the standards that are expected of them, to see that the cracks in these standards, and by the way they live, by the way they respond to situations, you know show the uh, show the adults where you know things are not quite coming together, 
And as you know, if we if you live in a community where you know the the community harmony depends on you as a child playing a specific role, the moment you stop playing that role, you introduce tension into the equation, and then there is effort made now to 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 correct you to to push you in the right direction. But then, if if that direction is one that is no longer tenable for the community, it can erupt into all kinds of stress and tension. And I explore that quite a bit in the Enfanter talk, which um, I I really encourage people to check out because the Enfanteros are one of my favorite um, characters in mythology and folklore, and they, they, they are wonderful. They actually are wonderful. So you, you have that, but then there's also mental illness, right, which, um, you know, is, is on that spectrum um, of, you know, are you just seeing the world differently? And is this, you know, are you, are you able to live and function and take care of yourself or is this difference in perception getting in the way of you being able to live and function and take care of yourself and sometimes it doesn't um but then if you get coded as as other as supernatural in some way that can introduce a lot of stress and tension in your family too um whether you're a, a parent or a child or you know whatever come their sibling it, it can cause you know people to 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 react to you differently to have expectations of you that maybe sometimes you just can't meet so this this causes a lot of stress in in community structures and things like that and will erupt sometimes into violence and the, the darkness that we, we we've been talking about um queerness though is is an interesting um um area in traditional African mythology and folklore, because if you look at many uh, traditional African cultures, some of them were quite homophobic, so, you know, not, not presenting as heterosexual was cause for ostracism, you know, and, and, and um, difficulty in your community. But many communities will look at queer people as just people who walk paths that are different from people, and they would give this a, a spiritual dimension. And this, this, of course, um, and many of the stories that we, we, we see coming through in folklore will not really speak as much to this spiritual dimension of, of queerness, because I, I imagine the, the people telling, well, to back up a little bit, many folklore collections, many stories um, were written down by European explorers, by missionaries. And I imagine the, 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 the indigenous people were not too keen, you know, to tell some of these stories, especially if they saw the reactions of these, you know, right. Victorian era, <laughs> Victorian yeah. era Europeans to, to some practices. So um, you, you don't see so many of these queer stories that will necessarily explore the, the spiritual side of things, or if they exist, they are in highly metaphorical coded, coded languages that if you know, if you're not from within the culture and you understand certain nuances and metaphor, you will completely miss them for what they are. One collection, though, um, by Leo Frobenius, which I mentioned before, and he he's one of the, the explorers who basically said it doesn't make sense that there are no stories at all about eroticism and sexuality because it's it's all around me. So what are these stories? And he, he set out to collect stories that are specifically um, on the uh, erotic end of the spectrum. So then in these stories, you see um, a lot of the, the, the queer dynamics will come out. Um, and one of them which stands out in particular is the story um, from um, the Kabyle people. And I think um, the, they are mostly found in Algeria, so it's the northern part of the African continent. It's the story of uh, Simoa ben Abid, 
and he he's this character who is this flamboyantly queer right he is bisexual and he's a cross dresser and um the the difficult thing about uh, Simoa's story is that it it ends up playing into a lot of the negative stereotypes that exist about queer people and that's perhaps out of the culture in which uh, out of which it comes because you know most of the northern uh, african continent um became um is dominated by islam and you know there are aspects of islam that are not particularly friendly to to queer people so but the the start of his story you know sets him as just another person in the community and then he goes off on this rampage and that's another story i want to read because i, I think simor's story is is fascinating and and it is said that um simor the son of abid at 18 years of age was more handsome than any other man up to that age he remained at home he was quite inexperienced and had no inkling of the inexhaustible potency of his sexual parts but when simoa was 18 years old he said now i'm going to set out on my travels and so simoa benabit took his leave and departed from his village simoa set out on his travels on the first evening when he was prepping to lie down to sleep at the wayside he heard the sound of music the music was coming from a town very close by when simoa realized this he did not lie down but went into the town simoa arrived in the town which was celebrating a festival people were dancing simoa joined the dancers and all of the others stopped dancing and stepped aside no one in the town had ever before seen so comely a man dance so exquisitely the girls giggled and nudged one another with their elbows and the young men whispered to each other if only we could sleep with him the old women said to themselves if only we were not so old and simoa went on dancing and everybody shouted do not stop keep on dancing then bring me an anklet for my foot simoa said bring me bracelets for my arms bring me a head ornament for my forehead bring me a chest ornament for my chest bring me women's garments made of silk if you clothe me in all these things i will dance a dance for you such as you've never seen the people brought him women's garments made of silk they brought him ornaments for his chest his forehead his arms his ankles simoa ben abid put on these clothes he chose the most beautiful ornaments the young women gazed at him the old women came close up to him and nudged him with their elbows simoa ben abid was more comely than any of the women who had lived in that town he called out i am ready now you must play by my own tune you must sing my own song sing Simoa ben Abid is running away. May God bless Simoa ben Abid for that. The fiddlers fiddled, the drummers stopped struck their tambourines, and the people stood around in a ring singing. Simoa ben Abid is running away. May God bless Simoa ben Abid for that. Simoa ben Abid is running away. May God bless Simoa ben Abid for that. And Simoa danced. He danced to the right, he danced to the left. The women called out to him in a shrill voice. The young girls tapped their feet on the ground and pressed their hands together. The young wives pressed their legs together and their hands against their breasts. The old women waggled their buttocks and everybody watched Simoa ben Abid sing and dance. Simoa danced, he leapt into the air. He went leaping through the streets and out into the bush. And he gathered up his dress and said to himself, "My running away has everyone's blessing. God grant that I run fast enough to enable me to keep all of this fine jewelry." The people ran after Simoa. and they lost sight of him in the bush and the people said to one another if we cannot catch up with him in the open road while we are on the open road while we are still quite fresh we cannot possible possibly do so in the bush the people gave up their pursuit 
and went back into the town. Amazing. <laughs> and it just goes on and on and he in 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 this in this in this uh, uh form that he takes, you know, he basically goes into a family and just pokes a finger into the dark family dynamics, you know, in how he deals with the, the, the husband, with the wife, with their daughters, and it just escalates into this messiness like you would never believe. And that's where I, I try to be careful because then, you know, it, it in my opinion, the story, you know, takes that turn where it's saying, oh, this is this is how you should be, this is how you shouldn't be, you know, and using a queer person as a scapegoat in that case. And I I I have, you know, reservations about poking into all of that. But but the starting, you know, with him being this figure that people admired, that people desired, um, that's something that, you know, you 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 don't often see in folklore that you know, is is running around. And that perhaps has to do more with just the way people approached queerness in traditional African societies. Um, so it's um, evidence, you know, that it wasn't a strange thing, but there, there was some delicacy and, you know, discretion in how people approached it in many communities, so. Yeah. I, I like the the just the idea that the, the guy's just going, oh, I wish I could sleep with him. He dances so well. And that's just like... <laughs> <laughs> you have the whole it's community just, going oh this is such a novelty this is so different they, yeah they it, you know yeah i like that beginning and then it just goes into the <laughs> right, it, it yeah goes goes left <laughs> <laughs> left field <laughs> just off a cliff <laughs> there, was, there was a time when um i was uh working through uh, this book, uh, Leo Frobenius's uh, collection of erotic African folk tales, and quite often I would, you know, I started screening the stories, so reading them before the sessions, mm. um, because some of them were just, oh my gosh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, but, but but then it's still it's still information, right? It gives you a sense of you know who was telling the story and why they were telling the stories and what values they have, and you know gives information about why certain attitudes are the way they are today. Of course, we don't have to repeat these stories, um, given how they can you know, endanger people's lives and reinforce things that we don't need to reinforce. But what 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 really comes true for me thinking about all these these stories is just the idea that you know however you want to look at it. You, you have families and you have these these dynamics that don't always show the best side of things. Um, but then you have these stories that show how people navigated them, you know, to the best of their ability and their know-how. And it, it gives information ultimately about how things have been, um, but also about how things could be, which I think is the ultimate function of storytelling, you know, this, this opportunity to reflect um, and, and figure out what the best way forward might be yes that sort of this is where we've come from and this is where we can go and that like how do you break a cycle how do you mm -hmm. how do you move forwards from something where you know where can you go next and yeah yeah and it's really important to remember stories from the past and to remember that you know how far you've come as a community mm -hmm. and as even as an individual and what they mean to you as a person but also like what that means to you as as a community as a culture as a society and then to look at how you want to be and like how that all fits into that tapestry yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's 
yeah it is really like folk tales are really important for that i think and i think that's almost all we've got time for thank you <laughs> so that's a perfect place to end though um a little note of hope <laughs> but thank you so much like that's so interesting um and i would just like to give you some space to if, to wrap it up just to um plug anything that you would like so let us know anything you've got going on for 2023 or anything that is ongoing that you'd like to um let us know about Sure, sure. So the big thing I have going on right now is a collection of folk tales that I am working on. And these are retellings of folk tales from different parts of the African continent about girls and women. And um, I am uh, retelling all of them either in prose or in verse. And uh, the, the, the focus is on just what's going on in these women's heads as they are going through what they are going through. Um, if you know anything about folktale, they tend to just tell the story. Um, they don't really go into that reflective, you know, side of, okay, why am I making these decisions? So that's, that's what I try to do with this collection. It's called The Runaway Princess and Other Stories. And um, wrapping up you know, writing, um, actually I have quite a bit of writing to do today, but the, 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 I'm planning to release the book in January of 2023. So you can find out more about the project on uh, the Mythological Africans website, mythologicalafricans.com. Um, so that's the, the big project I have going on. But otherwise, um, on mythologicalafricans.com, that's the one-stop shop for everything else I have going on. Um, I do talks about African mythology and folklore and just exploring, you know, the interesting themes that will show up and their relevance for what we have going on now as humans and what future possibilities might be. Um, the, there is a YouTube channel as well where I do deep dives. So um, I do Twitter polls and the Mythological Africans followers on Twitter will tell me what they want to hear about. And I'll do, you know, a 30 minute, 45 minute episode on the topic. So we are quite a few episodes deep. So you, you definitely have a lot to catch up there if you want to check it out. Um, and yes, yeah, so mythologicalafricans.com, you can subscribe to the newsletter if you want to keep uh, abreast of everything we have going on. Um, I, I put out a newsletter every month, giving a, a, an outline of what's coming up and what has passed. And the talks, like you talked about um, on the Mythological Africans page as well, you get, um, you can watch past talks that I have given um, on different topics. So, but yeah, but the main thing is, is the book, The Runaway Princess and Other Stories, which I'm, I'm pretty excited about. And there is merchandise. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to put all the links up in the transcript. So um, I think the book may well have come out by the time this episode airs. So yeah. I will pop some promo images in the transcript and buy links as well. So people can just go direct and grab it. Um, so hopefully, <laughs> um, hopefully it will be out. So that will be really exciting. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been fantastic. It's, it's always great to look at these stories from different perspectives and I, I discover something new every time. So it, it really is my pleasure to be here. Um, take care and bye for now. <laughs>